Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you are ready to learn a lot today because in today's episode, I talked to Dan, who is the founder of the Brawn Body Training and the host of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. He is a personal trainer, a health coach, soon to be doctor of physical therapy, and he's helped hundreds of people achieve their health, fitness, and performance goals using a holistic lifestyle approach. So today we're going to be talking about the major factors that really impact our health journey besides the straightforward ones, diet and exercise. So if you guys are really focused on your diet and exercise and you're still having trouble, you know, seeing results, this is the episode for you. We're going to be talking specifically about sleep and stress and how they really impact um, our fitness journey. So it's going to be a great episode and I hope you guys enjoy it. Hey you guys, welcome to the Empowered Podcast, hosted by your girl, Miranda Lee. I hope you're ready to get confident, throw away the all or nothing mindset, fully surrender to God, and strive to be 1% better every day. Don't forget, you are enough, you are worthy, and you are loved. Alrighty, let's get this party started. All right. Hello, Dan. Welcome to my podcast. I'm so excited to have you. And just so you know, you are only the second male that I've had on my podcast. Wow. Well, I'm honored. Thank you for having me, Miranda. Yeah, I'm so excited for all the good things we're about to dive into. But before we do, can you um, introduce yourself to everyone who you are and what you do? Yeah, definitely. So my name is Dan Braun. And I'm the founder of Brawn Body and the host of the Brawn Body podcast. And in general, I help people take charge of their health and fitness using a holistic lifestyle approach. Uh, so from an educational background, I have a bachelor's in exercise science. I have two different personal training certifications, and I'm currently finishing my doctorate in physical therapy. And I've done a lot of kind of other side job type things, so to speak. Um, I've published research relating to uh, the hepatitis B virus. I've done peer-reviewed poster presentations on a variety of topics such as uh, ankle range of motion, uh, and I kind of consider myself a generalist. I wakeboard, I water ski, I alpine ski, hike, read, I like woodworking. I pretty much do it all in one way or the other. Um, so when it comes to health and fitness, like I said, my big focus is holistic lifestyle interventions and looking at the entire person, not just what they come to me for. Yeah, I love that you say that you take a more holistic approach um, to to fitness and exercise and, and nutrition. I think that's awesome. That's definitely um, basically the route that, that I take. I do think that a lot of the times people are either in one extreme or another. And I think it's like really good to like find that that balance between like the holistic approach, but then also, you know, you're getting your doctorate, you know, like modern medicine and technology is amazing, but it's so great to find that balance. Do you, do you struggle with that? Like, I know a lot of people who are getting their doctorate, probably it's probably one more extreme away from the holistic approach. Right. So my big thing when it comes to both the physical therapy and the health and fitness side of things is I want to answer the question, why? Right. You know, some people when I'm doing an initial eval or a consultation, they get tired of me asking why, 
why, why, right? You know, I probably sound like a, like a kindergartner or something like that. But until you get to the root cause of whatever problem you're trying to solve, until you get to the root cause of why that person is seeking out help and assistance for their health and fitness journey right then and there, until you hit that, you're, you're still just guessing and assuming so much about that person. Uh, and this is something that I personally feel most modern medicine really assumes, right? So when I go to a doctor, for example, if I complain of, say, chest pain, uh, and this is an example based on what happened in July, uh, they basically told me what to do and what not to do so that I didn't get chest pain. But uh, they never addressed the root cause of that chest pain for me. And I had to kind of stand up for myself in that situation and say, like, hey, uh, do you think we could put some blood work in or something like that just to see, you know, is everything going OK? Is everything functioning as it should? Um, so while it's nice to have the ability to suppress different things that we are going through, whether that be uh, symptoms that we don't want to experience or what have you, uh, it really pays dividends to get to the root cause of things. And I think that leads to the most long-term success in whatever you're trying to pursue, whether that's health and fitness, whether that's living a pain-free life or really faith in general, right? If you never get to the root cause of why you need to pursue your relationship with Christ at the time that you feel you're called to, then what, what is your whole testimony going to be? What is your walk with uh, Christ going to be if you never get to that root cause and spend the rest of your life kind of guessing about that, so to speak. I, I love that. I, I love that a lot. And I love how you connected it um, to, you know, faith and our walk with Christ too, because, um, you know, I kind of say the same thing. I word it a little differently. It's kind of like, what's our motivation behind why we do what we do. I feel like a lot of people, they just like look at the outcome and judge it then, but you know, what, what about the root cause? And I think that's kind of like my favorite part about the like holistic approach is like, you're not just trying to put a bandaid on it. You're trying to find out the cause instead of just addressing the symptom. Um, so I know we've talked about, you know, before this episode, we were talking about, um, like the importance of sleep and stress. And I kind of want to dive into that because a lot of times people think that, all they need to focus on is diet and exercise when it comes to whatever health goal they have. But, oh my gosh, they just don't know the importance of sleep and stress. And even something as simple as like, yo, are you drinking enough water? They don't see the big impact it has. So can you kind of, um, can you kind of dive into that talking about different factors outside of um, diet and exercise that really impact our health journey? Yeah, of course. So let's start with sleep. And I'm going to try and start with kind of like a 30,000 foot overview and then start to get into some of the specifics. So in general, most people know and understand that they have to sleep, uh, but they really don't understand how much, right? Uh, most recommendations range from seven to eight to nine hours of sleep for the average adult. And our sleep cycles go every 90 minutes. So for most people, that seven and a half hour mark is kind of that sweet spot. Uh, when we look at those numbers, about 40% of the U.S. population is sleep deprived. Uh, and there's certain demographics that are more sleep deprived than others. So uh, soldiers, men and women in uh, the service, over 75% of service men and women 
are uh, sleep deprived. Numbers are also higher amongst single parents and individuals who work in production industries like factories, right? Uh, women are more likely to develop more uh, sleep disorders than men are, uh, especially during pregnancy. I think it's over 50% of women who are pregnant develop insomnia. So sleep disorders and difficulty sleeping is extremely common. A lot of people wake up and they don't feel energetic. They don't feel uh, exuberant and full of life like they should, like they deserve to. Uh, and that has a huge carryover into health, fitness, and life in general. When people are tired, they move differently. So maybe I'm seeing someone on a physical therapy side of things for back pain, but maybe their back pain is worse by, uh, because of the fact that they're not sleeping. If they're only sleeping three or four hours every night, and then they're going out and working a you know 14 to 16 hour day, they're not going to give their body the optimal chance to recover as it needs to. And if you don't recover, your body is going to compensate. It sacrifices quality of movement for quantity. Uh, and as you compensate, you start to use things that you don't usually use. Uh, and when you're swapping out uh, different muscles for other muscles, pain tends to result, right? So I gave the example of back pain. Uh, when we say we're working in a job like a factory and we have to pick an object up off the floor, right? Most of the time we want to lift with our legs and we use big muscles like our glutes, our quads, our hamstrings, muscles that I'll call them like a pickup truck. Uh, but when we get tired, maybe we start to pay less attention to how we lift things and we start to focus on just getting the job done. And then we lift it with our back, right? And now we're using back muscles, such as our paraspinals. These are smaller muscles that have more of a role in posture control, not a role in picking up a heavy object. So they're kind of like the Toyota Prius of our body. So instead of picking up and pulling the heavy weight with a truck, we're now trying to pull it with a Prius and it just doesn't work as well. So we have a whole uh, gamut of research that goes into the impact of sleep deprivation on altered movement patterns and biomechanics, but it can be even simpler than that. Over $400 billion of healthcare economy goes to uh, treating and preventing uh, sleep disorders, right? Melatonin sales are up over 500% since the year 2003. Falling asleep while driving claims thousands and thousands of life, lives annually. So this is clearly a issue, but we're not addressing it correctly if the numbers continue to rise. And as I mentioned, it is a culprit behind a lot of other conditions. I gave the example of back pain, but sleep deprivation plays into so much more than back pain. From a mental health perspective, lack of sleep can actually uh, be correlated with depression, anxiety, PTSD, and a variety of other mental health concerns. All of those kind of combine into stress. That was the other main topic for today was stress. And individuals who uh, lack sleep tend to be more stressed as a result. And there's a huge tie-in between sleep and stress. You actually hit a peak state of stress when you first wake up in the morning. So they've done studies, they've looked at cortisol, which is your stress hormone, and the levels tend to be the highest in people when they first wake up. Makes sense, you've gotta get your body up and moving and ready to go. Uh, imagine how much higher those levels would be though, 
uh, of cortisol or stress if you're not sleeping, right? So you never give your body that chance to recycle, to clean up, to rebuild. It's constantly breaking itself down, right? Cortisol as a stress hormone is catabolic. It breaks down tissue in your body. So if we are constantly in a state of breakdown, 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 and not build up, build up, build up, naturally, we're going to see a whole host and wide array of uh, detrimental health effects come from that. Uh, you know, I like to say you can't pour from an empty cup. And if you are not replenishing yourself from a sleep standpoint, and you're not doing things to effectively and efficiently manage your stress and deal with your mental health, then you're going to see a whole downward spiral of negative health effects uh, result from that. Yeah, listening to all this, it's, it's crazy, like the link between everything. It's like, literally this endless cycle, like you don't get enough sleep, you become more stressed, the more stressed you get, the less sleep you get. And it's just this, this endless cycle. And something I want to kind of add into what you were saying is, um, you know, people think of stress, and they think of, you know, like, anxiety, um, maybe, you know, mental stuff that goes on in their body, but there's so much like physical stress that we also put on our body, like even exercise is still stress on our body. So I guess, how do we find my question to you is how do we find that balance of like, is exercising helping with our stress? Or is it adding to our stress? Because I feel like there is a fine line. There definitely is. That's a great question. Uh, and when it comes to stress, there's good stress, like you mentioned, exercise, and there's bad stress. And I think a lot of our stress response comes from, as a species, our stress, um, evolutionarily speaking, was a fight or flight response, right? You know, if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, your stress response would keep you alive. It would help, it would dilate your blood vessels. It would increase your breathing rate. It would help do things that needed to be done to keep you alive. It would shuff, uh, shuttle blood from your gut into your muscles, your skeletal muscles. So your legs, your arms, things to help you run away and keep you alive. But we live in a time now where we get that sort of stress trigger in response to things that won't actually kill us, things that are not a 500 pound saber toothed tiger that's chasing after us. Uh, so I think a big part of that comes from how we respond to certain stressors in our life. Uh, and this is something that I usually tell people to journal about or keep a kind of log or track, write down your thoughts and write down how you feel after certain events throughout your day. Uh, this is a great way to kind of track progress over time and just in general, note the things that cause you stress. Uh, so for some people, maybe they're stressed over something related to social media. Maybe other people are stressed about something uh, related to like a friendship, maybe it's something about school. And these are all things that, you know, people need to take seriously. But at the end of the day, does it, you have to ask yourself, is this, you know, a life changing, life altering, life or death kind of situation? And should I be responding the way that I am to it? Uh, and obviously, no one can answer that but yourself. Uh, and that's what can be difficult about handling stress, right? No one can tell you how to react to every single situation because we're all different, right? What I take a certain way 
might be different from what you take a certain way. Uh, we're all different. So uh, again, it really comes back to that individual piece and tracking your own personal stressors and then kind of asking yourself, doing that gut check, that mirror check of how should I respond to this? Is my response that I'm giving uh, warranted in this situation? Yeah, that, that all is it's so true because, you know, something I say a lot with my clients and in my podcast is that, you know, fitness and nutrition is not a one size fits all. But like the point you're making is even how our body like responds to stress and the levels of stress is so different. And like, you can tell us all this knowledge, but at the end of the day, like if we're not in tune with our body, we can't make those necessary changes. So I kind of want to go back and talk a little bit more about cortisol and how that affects um, weight gain and like reaching those health and fitness goals. So I think that's something um, my listeners will probably have a lot of questions about. So just to kind of um, summarize what you've talked about, you said that, you know, cortisol is a stress hormone. So the more stress we have, higher cortisol levels, and then also not getting enough sleep also raises our cortisol levels. And then you also said that in the morning, um, correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) but in the morning, um, our cortisol levels are the highest. Um, so can you kind of say how cortisol has a negative impact on our, um, I guess anyone who's having a weight loss journey, um, maybe struggling with their weight or even, you know, other health and fitness goals. Right. So, uh, you're correct in summarizing there, um, in general, cortisol tends to be the highest in the morning, uh, it's our main stress hormone, right? Our body naturally produces cortisol and it comes from the adrenal glands. Uh, So we've probably all heard of, you know, your adrenal glands and adrenaline and that sort of thing, that sort of term used before. Cortisol plays a variety of roles in the body, but one of the key ones that cortisol uh, is involved in is uh, catabolism. So breaking down tissue whether it be body fat or muscle mass, to maintain levels of plasma glucose. So uh, basically your blood sugar level. So your body has this uh, tight window that it tends to function best at for pretty much all biomarkers, whether it be your heart rate, your blood pressure, your blood sugar level, and it likes to keep things within that certain window. When your blood sugar gets too low, which it can happen, uh, it secretes hormones like cortisol to mobilize fat and or muscle tissue, depending on your state at the time, to increase that blood blood sugar level. Uh, However, as I said before, we've kind of rewired our stress response. And when we are stressed, we secrete cortisol, right? Being able to increase the amount of blood sugar we have, the amount of uh, readily available energy or fuel source that we have at a moment's notice to, again, say run run away from a saber-toothed tiger, that's evolutionarily speaking advantageous that would give us a leg up at survival. Uh, So now when we are stressed, our body secretes cortisol and it goes out of it, uh, the hormone functions to go out break down either fat or muscle tissue uh, and dump it into the bloodstream 
to be used uh, for energy production, blood sugar, right? So from a weight loss standpoint, it sounds good, right? We're breaking down fat and muscle tissue. So naturally our weight would hopefully go down. But the issue with that is we are losing muscle mass as a result. And muscle is our main metabolic tissue. One pound of muscle burns upwards of about 50 to 60 calories per day, just at rest. The more muscle you have, the higher your metabolic rate, the more calories you're going to burn, even if you're not doing anything. So when it comes to weight management and weight loss, we want to have as much muscle mass as possible because it's going to make that process more effective and efficient, and it will be easier for us to keep weight off long-term. No one is ever 100% perfect when it comes to their diet, their exercise, and their lifestyle. We all have a off day or a cheat day or a rest day at some point, but having a muscle reserve, a muscle mass reserve uh, to kind of help us uh, offset those days from a metabolic standpoint is extremely important to our long-term success. And there's so many other considerations that can go into having a high level of muscle mass and uh, the other detrimental effects of cortisol. Uh, so for example, high cortisol might cause a decrease in bone density. So if we have lower bone density and we have lower muscle mass, then we're at a increased risk for falls and or fractures, uh, especially in the older populations. Uh, there's also ties with high cortisol being linked to uh, impaired cognitive performance, uh, which again, that has its um, whole realm of ramifications as well, whether that be from a health standpoint or a work standpoint. Uh, but obviously we need our brain to function optimally. And if we feel stressed because of something, we usually don't feel focused and uh, at our cognitive best, so to speak. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned earlier, like with the release of cortisol, like literally, like, like you said, running from a saber-toothed tiger, you're in this fight or flight mode. And I feel like the way that society is now, like we're always so busy. So go, go, go that so many of us have this constant state of stress. We're always having this consistent, like spike in our cortisol levels. Um, and you know, so many of us, like we, we preach, especially as, you know, trainers and coaches, you know, you need to be consistent with your exercise, you need to be consistent with, you know, your nutrition, but if like you're being consistent with being stressed, it's going to have like this, uh, such a negative impact, like you said before. And I think it's so easy to just overlook, um, something like stress because it is praised in today's society. Like, Oh, you worked 12 hours or, Oh, you barely, you know, got enough sleep. Like my husband is, is in the Navy and he literally gets like, at most maybe five hours of sleep on a good night. And if he's on the boat, it'll be like three hours of sleep. And then he has all this work to do. And then he still comes home and, and works out and talking to you now, I could see how that could have um, a negative impact on him trying to put on muscle. If his body's always in this fight or flight mode. And like you said, it goes for whatever your body tries to burn, whatever it can. And if that's muscle, it's, it's muscle. So, um, my question to you is, 
what should people be looking out for like that, that, you know, maybe they are having high cortisol levels. Maybe their stress is high. Maybe they aren't getting enough sleep. Like what are some signs and symptoms that they should be looking for? Right. So in general, uh, you'll feel that you kind of overreact to certain situations. And I, I like to call it like an aha moment for people, right? Like something little happens, like a little nuance, a little hiccup in your day. <clears throat> and instead of just kind of reacting as you normally would, your response is kind of exaggerated, to put it one way. Uh, and that usually becomes the aha moment for people like, hey, why did I just react to that? Why was that little thing, the straw that broke the camel's back? Uh, and that can kind of be your time to, again, self-reflect and look at uh, what you're doing and kind of evaluate things. Um, usually when you have a stressor uh, that is kind of thrown at you, you'll feel a sudden burst of energy. Again, it's a survival response. So you start to feel a little bit more energetic. So it kind of wakes you up a little bit. Uh, you feel a little bit more alert as a result. Um, so that's kind of the cognitive side of things, right? Um, over time, uh, you'll start to notice differences in body composition. Uh, so there's actually a condition called Cushing syndrome uh, that has resulted from uh, too much um, cortisol. And that causes... Uh, fat to deposit along the face between the shoulders uh, and the upper back. Um, so going back to what I mentioned before about the muscle mass and the role that that plays uh, from a metabolism standpoint, too much of anything is bad. Too much uh, cortisol can eventually cause uh, Cushing syndrome, which again, uh, high level of cortisol, and that is characteristic of uh, fatty uh, de deposits between the shoulders uh, in the face and the abdomen. Um, so if you're someone who, you know, you're training a lot, you're really working, burning the candle at both ends of the stick, and you start to notice that, hey, I'm gaining weight a little bit in certain areas. Uh, maybe you have like a acne outbreak as well. Um, and you notice some other, there's other signs as well that I forgot to mention, uh, such as um, decreased uh, sexual drive and interest, uh, changes in menstruation in women, uh, overall weakness, uh, depression, anxiety, different mental health things, um, and irritability in general. Um, all these things coupled together um, just kind of creates a recipe for disaster as it relates to cortisol. And it's hard to diagnose something like Cushing's from a clinical perspective because there's a fair amount of people, uh, at least in America, that have a decent level of body fat around their abdomen and around their shoulders. Uh, so it can be difficult to diagnose a disease that's characteristic of increased fat deposition in certain areas when there's a subset of the population that already has that. Uh, and not everyone in America has Cushing syndrome by any means. Uh, it's actually considered a slightly more rare diagnosis just because of how long it takes to get there. But in general, uh, looking for the weight gain in those classic uh, distributed areas, so the face, the shoulders, and the abdomen, looking for your irritability and your overall alertness and response to 
uh, various situations on a day-to-day -day basis, and then coupling that with other signs related to stress. As I mentioned, uh, changes in uh, sex drive and reproductive function in men and women, uh, fatigue, irritability, lethargy, uh, decreased focus and cognitive performance, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think before I ask this next question, I just want to say that I think everyone, especially here in America, has could improve on their stress management and their sleep management. But for anyone who, you know, just listened to all these um, signs that you just talked about, um, how could they, like, what should people do to really improve their sleep and, and stress management? What are the first steps that they should take? Right. So like I said uh, earlier, the importance of journaling and just keeping track of yourself is essential because if you're not keeping track, if you don't have a outcome measure to compare things to, you're not going to be able to determine if what you're doing is actually helping you or not. Uh, so have some kind of method in place to track whether or not what you're doing is effective. Uh, so that could be journaling. It could be something more objective, like um, a outcome measure. Uh, so there's one called the GAD-7, Generalized Anxiety Disorder 7. Uh, I used it in a health promotions uh, research project in the past. It's a seven-item questionnaire. You can complete it in about 30 seconds. Uh, and I've had people fill that out on a daily basis before. Uh, and they've noticed that as a result of different changes in their lifestyle, their anxiety level uh, decreases over time. So that can be one measure of tracking success. One of my favorite ways to decrease stress and improve sleep is uh, breathing. So I actually was fortunate enough to be able to present a uh, in-service presentation on uh, breathing in the past. And what's really interesting about breathing is we all breathe, right? I uh, at least hope we're all breathing, yeah, I hope uh, so. <laughs> but it's something that very few people actually do correctly. Uh, so when you breathe in, you should be breathing in through your diaphragm. And then when you breathe out, there shouldn't be any muscles involved if you're just kind of sitting here resting, so to speak. Uh, and in reality, we see a lot of people breathe with their upper chest and their neck uh, so they're not breathing deeply into their belly. They're taking shorter, more shallow breaths. And that involves more muscles in uh, breathing. We want it to be a nice, easy, passive process that involves the diaphragm. The diaphragm is essential because it uh, is related to this nerve in your body called the vagus nerve. And I can get into that a little bit, but essentially it is the main driver for your parasympathetic nervous system. So you have two different parts to your autonomic nervous system, sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic is everything we've already talked about, the stress response, the cortisol. The sympathetic nervous system is that. The parasympathetic is the opposite. It's the antagonist to everything that we just talked about. So if you find ways to activate the vagus nerve, which is the main driver for the parasympathetic nervous system, the antagonist to stress, the antagonist to cortisol, then you can start to calm down, relax, decrease cortisol levels. 
Uh, they've done clinical studies to prove the effects of breathing uh, and the kind of just plain and simple case evidence of individuals like Wim Hof speaks volumes in itself. Uh, the guy's done pretty much anything you can think of from running a full marathon in the Arctic Circle to climbing Mount Everest, uh, wearing just his shorts that he had on. Uh, he took an ice bath for two hours for fun. Uh, the guy is kind of crazy by some senses, but he's really mastered his ability to control his body's stress response through breathing. And one of the most common patterns I give to patients when I'm working in a clinical setting is called box breathing. It's pretty simple. We use a one-to-one -one ratio of inhale, exhale, and holds uh, with our breathing. And this is something that people don't often think about, right? We don't often think about when we're breathing. But next time you are, maybe you're laying in bed at night and you can't sleep, lay on your back or whatever position you find most comfortable and breathe in through your nose real slowly. Hold it and then breathe out slowly and hold again. And keep the length of time that you breathe in, breathe out and hold consistent. So I usually have people start with a two or three second count. Breathe in for a three second count. Hold for a three second count. Breathe out for a three second count. And then hold again for another three second count. And that process will help you activate your parasympathetic nervous system, will help you to shut down that stress response and should leave you feeling pretty relaxed and pretty uh, kind of back to whatever your non-stressed self feels like. Uh, and interestingly enough, you mentioned um, the Navy before, box breathing was actually developed uh, for tactical purposes to help soldiers sleep in pretty much any kind of setting, right? So soldiers are in various places in the world or maybe on a aircraft carrier, some kind of uh, machinery where comfort is not at the forefront, yet they need to find a way to uh, fall asleep. Or maybe they're in a high intense situation and they need to calm themselves down. So having a tool that anyone can do that's free and easy, all you have to do is learn how to do it, that can effectively reduce your symptoms of stress and help ground you back to your non-stress level uh, is incredibly powerful. And again, anyone can do this because we all breathe and it can be done anywhere at any time. Uh, so I like to really push that for that reason. Uh, everyone breathes and you can do this anywhere at any time, like I said. Uh, there's other things that people do to help them with sleep and stress management from blue light glasses to meditation, uh, hypnosis, yoga, um, red light therapy, all these different things. But at the end of the day, the most effective thing you can do is the one that you're actually going to do. And I found very few people want to put forth the financial investment for a $1,000 red light panel or a $200 pair of blue light blocking glasses or special blue light bulbs for their home when you can get similar results just by changing your breathing patterns. I think that's just so amazing. And it's so true that like literally something as simple as breathing, what we do 24 seven 
it can be like the biggest help when it comes to stress management. And I, and I love how you said it, even though it's something that we all do, so many of us do it wrong and something I love to do with my clients. Um, because a trainer I worked with years ago actually did this to me. And I found out I was breathing wrong is I'll tell someone to take a big inhale and anyone who's listening can do this now take a big inhale. If you are taking an inhale and your stomach is going in, you are not breathing right. Exactly what you said. They're breathing in like their chest and their shoulders. When you inhale, your stomach should get bigger. And I feel like for some reason, whenever people think they're breathing right, they inhale and their stomach, you know, gets smaller and then they exhale and their stomach expands. And it's supposed to be the complete opposite. And you think something that we need to do to survive, we'd be doing right. So that's, it's so funny that you, that you say that because like I said, years ago, I was breathing wrong and I, so many people do. Right. And overall, even from a fitness standpoint, right, your ability to properly breathe is essential to whatever your goal is from a fitness and performance standpoint. Um, I like to explain the core to people like a soda can. Uh, So the diaphragm is the top, your pelvic floor is the bottom, uh, your abdominals, so like your transverse abdominals, uh, TRA or TA is the front, and the spine and the uh, supporting musculature is the back. And if you want to create a stiff, rigid core to be able to lift more weight or uh, for people who practice martial arts, uh, there's the key up, which is a quick uh, contraction of both the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. If you keep uh, both ends of the soda can steady, that whole core system is strong and solid, right? Um, So I use the soda can analogy because people can literally stand on a full soda can until it's opened, right? Once it's opened, once there's a hole, once there's a weak spot in that, it suddenly becomes a lot less strong and you can stand on it and break it. Um, So I like that analogy to explain to people that even something as simple as breathing can make such a huge difference in your ability uh, to do performance from a fitness or lifting or martial arts standpoint as well. Yeah, that's so true. And like, even, you know, I do powerlifting and strongman. And when I wear my belt, the whole point of bracing yourself and inhaling um, to, to use that belt correctly is just like that soda can analogy. It just makes you, makes you stronger. You engage your core, it makes your core stronger. Um, so you can do the lift properly. So yeah, I, I love that analogy. And I think that's something everyone needs to do is learn how to breathe properly. I love it. Um, so where can our listeners, you know, reach out to you, find you, listen to your podcast? How can they connect with you? Right. So the main forms of social media we're on is Instagram, but we're also on TikTok and YouTube and pretty much everything. It's just Instagram's been our main form. We are at Braun Body, Braun with a W, so B-R-A-W-N-B-O-D-Y. Our podcast is called the Braun Body Health and Fitness Podcast. You can find that on pretty much all main uh, streaming platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google, CastBox, uh, so you can just type in Braun Body Health and Fitness Podcast, and it should come up. Uh, and you can also reach out to me via email. We're just at brawnbodytraining at gmail.com. Awesome. I will link all of those in the show notes so people can connect with you. And thank you so much for just sharing this tiny bit of all this knowledge that you have. Thank you so much. Of course, it was a pleasure being on here, Miranda.
All right, you guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And even more so, I hope you are ready to start prioritizing your sleep and lowering your stress levels because they have a huge impact on your health journey. And also, Diet Ditchers Academy is up and open for enrollment. It opened on Monday, so go ahead and go to thisismirandalee.com slash DDA. And if you haven't signed up for it, you guys, go sign up for it. Let's start this new year right. Let's ditch these diets and take steps toward a healthier lifestyle. Hope you guys have an amazing rest of your week, and I will catch you in the next episode.